0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I was able to go back and find Neville Goddard's lessons from 1948. There are five of them. So today we're going to get started with the first lesson, which is titled Consciousness is the Only Reality. Now this is a long lecture, so it will be separated into uh, three separate podcasts. So let's get started. Consciousness is the only reality. This is going to be a very practical course. Therefore, I hope that everyone in this class has a very clear picture of what he desires, for I am convinced that you can realize your desires by the technique you will receive here this week in these five lessons. That you may receive the full benefit of these instructions, let me state now that the Bible has no reference at all to any persons who ever existed or to any event that ever occurred upon Earth. The ancient storytellers were not writing history, but an allegorical picture lesson of certain basic principles which they clothed in the garb of history, and they adapted these stories to the limited capacity of a most uncritical and credulous people. Throughout the centuries, we have mistakenly taken personifications for persons allegory for history the vehicle that conveyed the instrument or the instruction for the, for the instruction and the gross first sense for the ultimate sense intended <clears throat> the difference between the form of the bible and its substance is as great as the difference between a grain of corn and the life germ within that grain as our assimilative organs discriminate between food that can be built into our system and food that must be discarded, so do our awakened intuitive faculties discover beneath allegory and parable, the psychological life germ of the Bible, and feeding on this, we too cast off the form which conveyed the message. The argument against the historicity of the Bible is too lengthy, consequently, It is not suitable for inclusion in this practical, psychological interpretation of its stories. Therefore, I will waste no time in trying to convince you that the Bible is not a historical fact. Tonight, I will take four stories and show you what the ancient storytellers intended that you and I should see in these stories. The ancient teachers attached psychological truths to phallic and solar allegories. They did not know as much of the physical structure of man as do modern scientists. Neither did they know as much about the heavens as do our modern astronomers. But the the little they did know, they used wisely. And they built phallic and solar frames to which they tied the great psychological truths that they had discovered. In the Old Testament, you will find much of the phallic worship, because it was not helpful, I am not going to emphasize it. I shall only show you how to interpret it. Before we come to the first of the psychological dramas that you and I may use in a practical sense, let me state the two outstanding names of the Bible, the one you and I translate as God or Jehovah, and the one we call His Son, which we have as Jesus. The ancients spelled these names by using little symbols. The ancient tongue Called the Hebraic language, was not a tongue that you exploded with the breath. It was a mystical language never uttered by man. Those who understood it, understood it as mathematicians understand symbols of higher mathematics. It is not something people use to convey thought, as I now use the English language. They said that God's name was spelled Jod He Ba. Hey, or Jod, he, ba he, depending on how you want to pronounce it. So it's J-O-D-H-E-V-A-U-H-E. These are separated into four symbols. I shall take these symbols and in our normal down-to-earth language, explain them in this manner. The first letter, Jod, in the name God, is a hand or a seed. Not just a hand, but the hand of the director. If there is one organ of man that discriminates and sets him apart from the entire world of creation, it is his hand. What we call a hand in the the anthropoid ape is not a hand. It is used only for the purpose of conveying food to the mouth or to swing from branch to branch. Man's hand fashions it molds. You cannot really express yourself without the hand. This is the builder's hand and the hand of the director. It directs and molds and builds within your world. The ancient storytellers called the first letter Jod, the hand, or the absolute seed out of which the whole of creation will come. To the second letter, he or he, They gave the symbol of a window. A window is an eye. The window is to the house what the eye is to the body. The third letter, va, they call a nail. A nail is used for the purpose of binding things together. The conjunction and in the Hebraic tongue is simply the third letter or va. If I want to say man and woman, I put the va in the middle. It binds them together. The fourth and last letter, hey, or he, again, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, In the Hebraic language, it's pronounced hey, though. Um, It's capital H, capital E. So the fourth and last letter, hey, is another window or eye. In this modern, down-to-earth language of ours, you can forget eyes and windows and hands and look at it in this manner. You are seated here now. This first letter, Jod, is your I amness, your awareness. You are aware of being aware. That is the first letter. Out of this awareness, all states of awareness come. The second letter, He, called an I, is your imagination, your ability to perceive. You imagine or perceive something which seems to be other than self as though you were lost in revere and contemplated mental states in a detached manner, making the thinker and his thoughts separate entities. The third letter, va, is your ability to feel you are that what you desire to be. As you feel you are it, you become aware of being it. To walk as though you were what you want to be is to take your desire out of the imaginary world and put the va upon it. You have completed the drama of creation. I am aware of something. Then I become aware of actually being that of which I was aware. The fourth and last letter in the name of God is another he, another I, meaning the visible object world or the visible objective world which constantly bears witness of that which i am conscious of being you do nothing about the objective world it always molds itself in harmony with that which you are conscious of being you are told this is the name by which all things are made and without it there is nothing that is made the name is simply what you have now as you are the name is simply what you have now as you are seated here You are conscious of being, aren't you? Certainly you are. You are also conscious of something that is other than yourself. The room, the furniture, the people. You may become selective now. Maybe you do not want to be other than what you are or to own what you see. But you have the capacity to feel what it would be like were you now other than what you are. As you assume that you are that, what you want to be, you have completed the name of God and the jad Hey, vah he. The final result, the objectification of your assumption, is not your concern. It will come into view automatically as you assume the consciousness of being it. Now let us turn to the Son's name. For He gives the Son dominion over the world. You are that Son. You are the great Joshua or jesus of the bible you know the name joshua or jehoshua we have anglicized as jesus the son's name is almost like the father's name the first three letters of the father's name are the first three letters of the son of the son's name jad heba then you add a shin and an ayin making the son's name read jad heba shin ayin you have heard that what the, first three, uh, what the first three are, Jod, He, Ba. Jod means that you are aware. He means that you are aware of something. And Ba means that you become aware of being that which you were aware. You have dominion because you have the ability to conceive and to become that which you conceive. That is the power of creation. But why is shin put in the name of the Son? Because of the infinite mercy of our Father. Mind you, the father and the son are one. But what the father becomes conscious of being, but when the father becomes conscious of being man, he puts within the condition called man that which he did not give unto himself. He puts a shin for this purpose. A shin is a symbolized is symbolized as a tooth. A tooth is that which consumes, that which devours. I must have within me the power to consume that which I now dislike. I, in my ignorance, brought to birth certain things I now dislike, and I would like to leave behind me. Were there not within me the flames that would consume it, I would be condemned forever to live in a world of all my mistakes. But there is a shin, or flame, within the name of the sun, which allows that son to become detached from states he formerly expressed within the world. Man is incapable of seeing other than the contents of his own consciousness. If I now become detached in consciousness from this room by turning my attention away from it, then I am no longer conscious of it. There is something in me that devours it within me. It can only live within my objective world if I keep it alive within my consciousness. It is the shin, or tooth, in the Son's name that gives Him absolute dominion. Why could it not have been in the Father's name? For this simple reason, nothing can cease to be in the Father. Even the unlovely things cannot cease to be. If I once give it expression, forever and ever it remains locked within the dimensionally greater self which is the Father. But I would not like to keep alive within me my world of all my mistakes. So I, in my infinite mercy, gave to myself, when I became man, the power to become detached from these things that I, in my ignorance, brought to birth in my world. These are the two names which give you dominion. You have dominion if, as you walk the earth, you know that your consciousness is God the one and only reality. You become aware of something you would like to express or possess. You have the ability to feel that you are and possess that which, that which by a moment before was imaginary. The final result, the embodying of your assumption, is completely outside of the offices of a three-dimensional mind. It comes to birth in a way that no man knows. If these two names are clear in your mind's eye, you will see that they are your eternal names. As you sit here, you are this Jod He Ba He. You are the Jod He Ba Shin Ayin. The stories of the Bible concern themselves exclusively with the power of imagination. They are really dramatizations of the technique of prayer, for prayer is the secret of changing the future. The Bible reveals the key by which man enters a dimensionally larger world for the purpose of changing the conditions of the lesser world in which he lives. A prayer granted implies that something is done in consequence of the prayer, which otherwise will not have been done. Therefore, man is the spring of action, the directing mind, and the one who grants the prayer. The stories of the Bible contain a powerful challenge to the thinking capacity of man. The underlying truth, that they are psychological dramas and not historical facts, demands reiteration, inasmuch as it is the only justification for the stories. With a little imagination, we may easily trace the psychological sense in all the stories of the Bible. And God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Genesis one twenty six twenty seven. 27 Here in the first chapter of the Bible, the ancient teachers laid the foundation that God and man are one and that man has dominion over all the earth if god and man are one then god can never be so far off as to even as even to be near for nearness implies separation the question arises what is god god is man's consciousness his awareness his i-am-ness the drama of life is a psychological one in which we bring circumstances to pass by our attitudes rather than by our acts. The cornerstone on which all things are based is man's concept of himself. He acts as he does and has the experiences that he does because his concept of himself is what it is and for no other reason. Had he a different concept of himself, he would act differently and have different experiences. Man, by assuming the feeling of his wish fulfilled, alters his future in harmony with his assumption. For assumptions, though false, if sustained, will harden into fact. The undisciplined mind finds it difficult to assume a state which is denied by the senses. But the ancient teachers discovered that sleep, or a state akin to sleep, aided man in making his assumption. Therefore, they dramatized the first creative act of man as one in which man was in a profound sleep. This not only sets the pattern for all future creative acts, but shows us that man has but one substance that is truly his to use in creating his world, and that is himself. And the Lord God, man, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman. Genesis 2, 21, 22. Before God, excuse me, before God fashions this woman for man, he brings unto Adam the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air, and has Adam name them. Whatsoever, Whatsoever Adam called every living creature That was the name thereof. Genesis 2.19 If you will take a concordance or a Bible dictionary and look up the word thigh as used in this story, you will see that it has nothing to do with the thigh. It is defined as the soft parts that are creative in man, that hang upon the thigh of a man. The ancient storytellers used this phallic frame to reveal a great psychological truth. An angel angel is a messenger of God. You are God, as you have just discovered, for your consciousness is God. And you have an idea, a message. You are wrestling with an idea, for you do not know that you are already that which you contemplate. Neither do you believe you could become it. You would like to, but you do not believe you could. Who wrestles with the angel? Jacob. And the word Jacob, by definition, means the supplanter. You would like to transform yourself and become that which reason and your senses deny. As you wrestle with your idea, trying to feel that you are it, this is what happens. When you actually feel that you are it, something goes out of you. You may use the words, who has touched me, for I perceive virtue has gone out of me. You become, for a moment, after successful meditation, incapable of continuing in the act as though it were a physical, creative act. When satisfaction is yours, you no longer hunger for it. If if the hunger persists, you did not explode the idea within you. You did not actually succeed in becoming conscious of being that which you wanted to be. There was still that thirst when you came out of the deep. If I can feel that I am that which but a few seconds ago I knew I was not, but desired to be, then I am no longer hungry to be it. I am no longer thirsty because I feel satisfied in that state. Then something shrinks within me, not physically, but in my feeling, in my consciousness. For that is the creativeness of man. He so shrinks in desire, he loses the desire to continue in this meditation. He does not halt physically. He does not halt physically. I lost my place for just a second. Okay, he does not halt physically. He simply has no desire to continue the meditative act. When you pray, believe that you have received, and you shall receive. When the physical creative act is completed, the sinew, which is upon the hollow of man's thigh, shrinks, and man finds himself impotent or is halted. In like manner, when a man prays successfully, he believes that he is already that which he desires to be. Therefore, he cannot continue desiring to be that which he is already conscious of being. At the moment of satisfaction, physical and psychological, something goes out which in time bears witness to man's creative power. Okay, that was consciousness is the only reality. And that was the first part uh, of, I'm assuming it will probably be four parts actually. Um, for the podcast to go over this particular lecture series. In the next lecture series, we will um, go on to talk about uh, or read the second story that Neville mentioned discussing uh, in this lecture series. So we'll see you for next week's podcast, and we will continue with Consciousness is the Only Reality.